Welcome to the dark side of travel. So you've dared to come jaunt with me. Thank you. Let me introduce myself. I'm Courtney Maroc, Ambassador of Dark and Paranormal Tourism for Haunt Jaunts, a destination for restless spirits who dig hauntings, true crime, horror, Halloween, and weird days. I'll be your host and guide for this listening adventure. Looks like we've been cleared for takeoff, so buckle up, sit back, and enjoy the ride. So hello everybody, welcome to this edition of Haunt Johns, and you may notice, you probably recognize, if you're in the paranormal, you recognize the gentleman next to me. Um, Mr. Troy Taylor is here to discuss um, his part in the shock docs, the exorcism of Roland Doe, which he's one of the experts because of his book. Was it 2006 when the devil? Yeah, it's had a few editions since then. Uh, The last one I think was in 2018. Uh, so it's, yeah, but I, 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 the first one was in 2006. Yes. So. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so that is why they came to this gentleman to, to ask. So what, um, what even, I mean, I should ask what sparked it, but like really some people are interested in exorcism cases and other people are like, eh, but what was it about this that, Honestly, I, I never was, and, and I'm really, really not that interested in other ones either. Um, it's just this particular story. I mean I, I mean, I have a mild interest, of course, because it all sort of ties together, but I'm not sure exactly what it was that, that convinced me that I wanted to delve into this one. Um, I was living in, this was in the 90s, I was living in St. Louis area at the time, and uh, I knew the story. I mean, I'd seen The Exorcist when I was like 12. So, I mean, I'd read the book and I did it for a book report in like the eighth grade, um, which I didn't fly really right with the teacher, but whatever, you know. Um, so, I, I mean, I was familiar with the story, but then when I was living in the St. Louis area, I kept hearing about, you know, I mean, I knew that there was some kind of true story, some kind of exorcism, but there just wasn't really a lot of talk about it at the time. Uh, but I kept hearing from people, oh, yeah, you know, the exorcist based on a true story happened here in St. Louis. And I thought, yeah, right. You know, I was just skeptical. I, you know, I so many urban legends over time. And, you know, there's so many movies I've seen over the years that are based on a true story. And you're like, okay, they took like one thing and that was it, right? So I honestly didn't think much about it. But I thought, you know, I'm going to look into this because it's interesting. And if it is a local tie, I, you know, I, I really like to know more about it. And you know, there was nothing on the internet. Well, there really is, wasn't even an internet. So, to, you know, at that time, there really wasn't much of one. And so I just started digging into the story in any way I could. And at that time, there were still people who were alive who had been involved in the exorcism because, you know, this was in the 90s. So it had been at this point, it was still less than 50 years. So there were still people alive. They were older, but they were around. And so I, I had a chance to talk to people. I got to interview people. I, you know, I found, um, it wasn't hard when I found the house uh, where the, where Roland's aunt and uncle lived in outside St. Louis in Belnor. Um, it wasn't hard to find their names. And then from there, I just kept on going till I found out 
the names of the family. I found out Roland's real name and all of this stuff. And it was easy once I was, I, I got things rolling. So I got more and more curious about this. And after I talked to some people, I started to think, hey, there really is a story to this. And uh, I even, I, I wanted to find out how in the world it had inspired the exorcist. So I, uh, I started digging into old newspapers back when you had to actually go to libraries and get old newspapers you could not, you know, on microfiche. I was just gonna say microfiche. But, you know, so I found, I found how he found out about it because in 1949, when this all started, it started in Maryland. It didn't start in St. Louis. It ended up in St. Louis. It started in Cottage City, Maryland, which is right outside of Washington, D.C. So there had been a little story in the newspaper, you know, like local boy goes through exorcism, that kind of thing, you know. And um, Blatty apparently, William Peter Blatty had apparently seen this article, got interested in it, and at the time was studying to be a Jesuit priest at Georgetown University in Washington, D.C. So it was a local story for him. So he went to one of his advisors and um, got some information. Eventually, he was able to get a copy of what became known as the Priest's Diary, which was the kind of a, a, a journal kept by one of the priests in the real case, uh, Father Raymond Bishop. And he kind of kept a running uh, account of what happened because when he had to end up doing this exorcism. He had no idea what he was doing. I mean, neither one of them did. And they were trying to find any kind of literature that would help them out. And all of it was like 150 years old. So he thought, hey, if we put something together here, maybe future generations could use it. Now, he didn't know at the time that it would all be clamped down on and kept secret. But anyway, Blatty was able to get a copy of the of the diary and was able to talk to Father William Bowdern, who was the other exorcist in the case, and it became the, um, you know, the inspiration for Father Marin in his book. Uh, but Father, Mar Father, B Father Bowdern had asked him to please try and protect the identity of the boy, because they did not want this to get out. And so Blatty, when he wrote the book, changed it from a boy to a girl to, you know, change the identity. And um, I also think he did it because, I mean, let's be honest, a girl is much more shocking and sympathetic to the story than a 13-year-old boy because, I mean, you know, boys being violent and using bad language and smelling bad, that's every 13-year-old boy. <laughs> I've been one, I know. So, <laughs> Um, I think making it a girl was a lot more sympathetic to audiences and to readers, so uh, it became a girl. But what he did do was use a lot of the information that was in that priest diary and then put it right into the book. Um, a lot of the accounting of things that happened turned up right in the book and then, of course, dramatized for Hollywood into the movie. I mean, no one's head spins around in real life. You know, he doesn't crawl backward down the stairs. There's nobody flies out the window or anything like that. You know, but a lot of the stuff that was reported, you know, does end up in the movie. Him being tied to the bed, marks on his body, things flying around, you know, all these things that, that were in the diary ended up in the book. So that is how it did inspire this. And it's, it really is based on a true story. I mean, obviously a dramatized one, but still based on a real true story. That's amazing. And I love, I love that you explained how it, how you tied into it. Did you ever um, get to talk to Blatty at all? No, I never got to talk to Blatty. I wished I would have, I wish I could have, would have been able to, but 
Um, he was one person I did not get to interview. Um, I tried to focus, I mean, once I knew the story, I tried to focus more on the people who were actually involved in, in the story. So I, I probably should have. I mean, I've met Linda Blair, which sort of counts, um, but I should have focused on that part of it too. But it was too late. He passed away and I, I missed my chance on that. That's yeah, too it's too bad. But, um, you know, a lot of the people that, as I said, were involved in it, uh, William Halloran, who was a, a seminary student during the exorcism, Father Bowdern had been his principal in high school, and they had remained friends. Um, and um, so he, um, he actually was studying to be a Jesuit priest. I think it was in like his ninth year of study or something. And Father Bowdern asked him to help out with the exorcism because um, not to as a priest, but as a big, strong guy who used to play football and was a boxer because they needed someone very strong to hold Roland down because there were times when he was able to shake loose from six, six men. Now, this kid was 13. He is scrawny, skinny, weighed about 105 pounds, but somehow was able to get loose from six guys at a time. Wow. Well... I out of the story a little bit here, and I apologize for that. But, you know, I mean, it, as I said, it started in Maryland, and it started out really as, as a haunted house story. I mean, everybody thought their house was haunted. Even their Lutheran minister thought maybe the house was haunted, or he actually thought that maybe it was some sort of um, a poltergeist case where Roland was the center, was the agent behind all these things that were happening. In fact, that's what he always thought. Uh, he he had witnessed some things at his home in Maryland where Roland, where the bed shook, uh, Roland uh, was in a chair that flew over and saw the, the some blankets he was laying on the floor, actually saw them move across the floor of a bedroom. Uh, and he really thought that this was a poltergeist case. But you have to keep in mind that A, he's Lutheran, <laughs> so they're not really jazzed about Catholic exorcisms anyway, especially back in the 40s, things were a little bit more antagonistic between the two at the time. But uh, so he wasn't really jazzed about the Catholic thing, but um, he just didn't didn't see anything that happened in St. Louis because things really escalated once the family went there. Um, and, you know, the story is, is that, you know, there were marks appearing on Roland's body and that the marks had spelled out the word Lewis. And that was why the family decided to go. The main reason I think they decided to go is because they thought that maybe by going to St. Louis, they could get away from their house where, you know, all of these things were happening. And I don't think they were at that point had thought anything about it being a possession. I think they still were thinking it was a haunting of some kind and that he was being attacked in some way. But they thought maybe if they left Maryland and went to St. Louis, that maybe things would loosen up a little bit. But instead, you know, things got worse because it, it wasn't a haunting. Uh, but that's what they thought. But their family lived there. That's where they were from. Roland's parents had met and married in St. Louis, and that's where they were from before they moved to Maryland. They still had all their family still in St. Louis, and they came there to stay with an aunt and uncle. And that's how it ended up in St. Louis. And things got worse and Roland's cousin went to her advisor at St. Louis University, who was a Jesuit priest, Raymond Bishop, who's the one who kept the priest diary, asked him if he would at least come out to the house and pray for her cousin, because you know here are the things that are happening, you know, all the same crazy stuff. Well, Father Bishop came out and was very disturbed by what he saw and asked Father Bowdern to come with him the next night. Father Bowdern went to the, the, the 
uh, the house and they prayed with Roland and then they witnessed a, a bookcase in the room go flying across the room. Things were things were shaking, the bed was bouncing up and down and he became convinced that Roland was not being haunted, that he was possessed. And that's how one thing led to another and they got permission to do the exorcism. Um, and that's where, I mean, it went from the house in Belnor to uh, the, the rectory at the church where Father Bowdern was the pastor. And then eventually on to the Alexian Brothers Hospital where things really got violent. Now they'd already been violent and that was the reason they moved to the hospital because Father Bowdern felt that they needed to get Roland somewhere where he could be controlled. Um, and so they actually put him into a secure mental wing at the hospital. And it was a hospital run by, uh, completely run and staffed by monks, the Alexian brothers. So they knew that everything would be kept secret and they could restrain him. They could tie him to the bed. They had all these orderlies and nurses on hand, most of them young guys who were there to help. And that's the only way that they could control what was happening and continue with the exorcism without Roland really hurting somebody. Because he had already attacked his aunt. Um, at one point, he had injured, I mean, he'd injured almost everyone involved. Um, Walter Halloran, the, the Jesuit student, had been punched in the face so hard his nose had been broken. Um, so, I mean, he'd already done all these, these incredibly strange things for a, this scrawny little kid. And with this, the, you know, the, the things moving around and the bed moving and, you know, the, the, his vomiting and his, you know, urinating all over the room and the smells and the, the violence that was going on with him thrashing about and kicking and hitting people, his father, his uncle, people were getting injured. And they thought the best thing was to put him somewhere where he could be secured so they could finish this exorcism, which they did. It took six weeks. This thing lasted for six weeks. Um, solid every single night, five and six hours a night with these priests conducting this exorcism ritual every night and listening to him scream and sing and, you know, and say all these horrible things that so bad that Father Bishop wouldn't put them in the diary. So blasphemous, he said, but using different voices like this deep guttural voice. I mean, it's everything that you'd want out of a movie. It really is. If you, if you said, give me a movie about exorcisms, it's everything in this, that this kid did is in every movie you've ever seen about an exorcism. Um, but it's, it's, um, you know, but the difference is, is that there were people there actually witnessing this and, you know, documenting what was going on. So it, it makes it a really compelling story. Very. And that you brought up so many things that I was shocked in the documentary about like that you knew who it was because that i think that's a thing that everybody you know wants to know well, is the person even real yeah yeah he was and very real yeah. i loved what you said about you know i'm not gonna say i know but i won't say because however you well, put it was the, the agreement that i'd made was that i would not use his name uh, as long as he was alive um i would not use roland's name i did an interview with him about 10 years ago um, and you know, that, that's the, that's the funny thing about the stories. Everybody always asks me, well, what happened to Roland when it was over? I mean, he went through this, this, this horrible exorcism and what happened, you know, and that's where I get into the, the, the questions that people ask me about, well, how do you know this wasn't a hoax? Um, well, for starters, the kid was 13. He would have had to have fooled his family, his neighbors, his friends, his relatives in St. Louis, um, 
two Catholic priests, uh, a number of other Catholic priests, Alexian monks, he would have had to fool all these people for five months. That's really playing the long game as far as cons go. And I just don't believe it. I, I, I can't imagine being a 13-year-old boy being tied to a bed with men screaming at me, splashing me with holy water every single night, and me having to put on my usual show. I, there's no way it could have happened. I just don't believe it. Um, then there's the other question. You know, well, maybe it was just mental illness, you know, because in all honesty, a lot in the, in the past, you know, 100 years or so ago, even back to the Middle Ages, I'm positive that a lot of people who were thought to be possessed were mentally ill. When we couldn't treat things like that back. No one knew what you know schizophrenia was or bipolar disorder, and people acted crazy because they were crazy. They weren't possessed. They really had a problem. Well, so I can see where that would be a question. Why, you know, why uh, does you know why would you think it wouldn't be? So maybe Roland is schizophrenic. Well, a a psychiatrist that really studied this this thing says that there's no one psychosis that would explain everything for starters, but Let's just say, plain devil's advocate, so to speak, that Roland had a mental illness, okay? And he had it for five months. And everything he did was the result of him being mentally ill. So after this six-week exorcism, how do we explain the fact that he was suddenly miraculously cured with no drugs and no treatment? Because he was. Because when this ended at the end of April in 1949, it was all over. He never experienced anything like this again for the rest of his life. He went on to lead a very normal life. I would say above normal life because when this was over, he went home, he, he finished school, he graduated college, he got married, he had a family, he went to work in the space industry. Um, he has a patent in his name to this day for the, the shielding that they put, that NASA puts on rockets to get them through our atmosphere and into space. Roland, the boy from the exorcism, invented that. He was an actual rocket scientist. In That's, I mean, really mind-blowing. So when I interviewed him about 10 years ago, and he said, you know, I, this is going to be a disappointment to you, and I'm sorry, but he says, I don't remember anything. I don't remember what happened. Um, he says, of course, I know the places and the people because, I mean, that was St. Louis. We went there often when I was a kid. So, I, I mean, these, this was my family. He said, so I remember that. I remember being there, but what happened during the exorcism, I have no memory of. And apparently, according to some priests I've spoken with, that's pretty common for actual, you know, possessions. That people don't often remember what happens during an exorcism. But in, in Roland's case, he said, I, I just, you know, people tell me about what happened. And he said, it's like hearing a story about someone else's life because I have no memory of it at all. So that in itself is, is, is interesting. But again, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't explain, you know, how it could have been anything other than something supernatural. Um, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say that I know for a fact, because I, I don't know what demons are. I think that, uh, the Catholic church and I would differ on what we believe demons are. Uh, I think that, we, we've used the term demons the same way that people have used angels and, you know, the old gods and all these. I think a lot of this stuff is connected to each other. I don't think that we can um, really give it certain names. I think it's all probably the same thing, but something I think malevolent influenced this boy. And um, I mean, obviously something happened or we wouldn't still be talking about it, you know, yeah. 73 years later, we wouldn't still be talking about this case, but we are.
And uh, I think that has everything to do with the fact that it was authentic uh, of, of a kind. Um, I, you know, like I said, I, I'm not a Catholic, so I, I can, I understand the, their, the faith, but I don't, um, you know, I don't agree with everything in it. And so I don't, I think we, we're calling the same thing by two different names is what I think. Uh, but um, yeah, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a fascinating story. It really is. It's super, fa- but it's good to know that um, he, there was a happy ending and he. Yeah, yeah he there really is. Was okay. But it's, it's interesting. And it's interesting you brought up because one of my questions to you was going to be, because you said, I loved your parts on the interview. You were so, um, well, you're you, you're just genuine. Well, I, I try, I try, I've tried to just present the evidence in this case and let people decide for themselves. I don't, I mean, until recently, I've never even gone out on a limb to say anything of what I thought it might be. I've, I've really just, but people have just pushed me into it. Oh. You've, got, you've got to give us something, you know. So, but um, no, I mean, really, I, you know, I, I just tried to let people judge for themselves what they think this all was and what it was all about. And um, I tried to present it that way in the documentary, too. I just, I just wanted to present the story the best way I could. Well, you did, and and it's great. And I love that you even said, you know, I'm not sure. I mean, it could be even you adjusted. It could be something. It might. I mean, he might have. Who knows? We don't know. Yeah, no, there's no way we can know we weren't there. No, and that's the, that's the problem I have with so many people who have an instant critique of the story uh, by just you know reading a blurb about it somewhere, or you know, you, there's no way any of us can know. The only way we could know is if we were actually there. And um, I spoke to everyone that was still alive who was there, including the, the one, the, the monk that I did the interview with in the story, uh, in the documentary. I mean, that, that footage is like six years old because he's, he long passed away. I mean, I was contacted by that, that monk because he was in his late 80s. He had cancer. He knew he was going to die and he wanted to tell his story. And um, that was recorded completely separate from this documentary. We just used the footage that I had of, of my interview with him uh, because like I said, it was in, it was in 2014, I guess. So it's been almost seven years ago. And uh, I sat down with him because you'll notice that my beard goes from one length to another in that, <laughs> in that footage. Yeah. Um, so when I sat down with him to hear his story, you know, he was telling me about being at the Alexian brothers hospital and, you know, all of the things he experienced during this. And there were a lot of things, but the one that really gets me the most is him telling me that he was there holding Roland down onto the bed. And as his hands were on Roland's ankles and Roland actually levitated about 12 inches off the bed. And he said, and it wasn't like, oh, it seemed like he did, or it looked like he did. And he said he absolutely levitated off the bed and that, you know, anybody who was there could not deny this. And I think that was a key thing that you, if you were there, you knew what happened. And so all of us who talk about it now, who weren't there, we only have the word of those who were. And, and I guess that my problem is, is that who's going to, why would you argue with this guy? I mean, why would you argue with a monk who spent 80 plus years of his life in service to other people, who has lived this isolated, I mean, he, it's not like he was going to become rich and famous. It's That's what I was going to say. Family. 
it wasn't like they ever became rich and famous. Most people have no idea what their names are. So, but they still told what happened to them. You know, they, they explained what they saw and what they experienced. And the same way with the priests involved, they certainly weren't interested in getting rich and famous, and yet they told their stories. So I think that's what we have to go by. We can't go by, you know, um, somebody who just disputes it because I don't believe in that kind of thing. Well, you know what? I, you know, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. You can be as skeptical as you want. I don't care. For me, I know that there's something genuine behind this. I mean, I know this and uh, I, I believe this, that there is. And, um, you know, I mean, everybody's welcome to their own opinion. I mean, that, that for me, that works for ghosts, Anything. Whatever, you know, everything. <laughs> you're welcome to your own opinion, but you're not going to change my mind, you know? Yeah. And I'm not trying to change yours either. You can believe whatever you want to, but I'm just going to present this to you and then you can do whatever you, you want. Can. It reminds me of my friend, Scott Morrow, who has since passed. Um, but he used to say, he used to love to ask people, do you believe in the devil? And, you know, depending on what they said, if they said no, he goes, well, the devil believes in you. <laughs> it's yeah, like, yeah. oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, <laughs> and was it the Alexian Hospital? Is that what it's called? Yeah, the Alexian Brothers Hospital. Where the, um, the priest that they think absorbed or pot could have. How do you, you know feel what? about I, I that? Don't, I don't know anything about that story. Uh, the, the first I'd ever heard of it was in that documentary. Really? I, yeah, I'd never heard anything about that before. But um, I, all I can say is that I interviewed people who were there at the exorcism, and none of them ever mentioned that to me. I, I'm not saying it's not That's, true. No, I have but no it's idea. But no one has ever mentioned that to me before. That and, is super um, interesting. So I, I don't know. Because I. I hadn't heard it, and I figured you would have, so. No, I'd never heard that. So that's interesting. That was, that was new to me, and um, yeah, I, I'm not, just don't know. So. Don't know, we don't, we don't know. We don't know what we don't know. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh, well, I am so grateful. And what, let's talk about really quick, what else have you got coming up on your horizon? Yeah, well, it's, um, now, you know, before long, it'll be spring, thank God, and um <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't hate winter. I just don't like it when it's, you know, our high is negative five. But uh, we have a lot of stuff coming up. I, mean, I do a lot of, um, a lot of dinner events and things that we do where we get people together and they do, you know, I'll do a, a, a presentation on whatever, you know, it's a variety of different things. Haunted New Orleans, the St. Louis exorcism, the Limp family, all kinds of stuff. I do a lot of that. Um, we've got our conference coming up in July. Um, we are back we had to postpone last year uh because of the pandemic but i think we've got it scheduled now for the end of the summer i think we'll be uh, able to have it this year we're we're very excited about getting the getting the band back together so to speak because a lot of the people who come to our conference every year we only see that's the only time we see them all year so we've missed a year with a lot of our friends so we're hoping that we can bring that back uh, I, 99% sure we will be able to bring it back this year. But uh, my next book comes out in March. Um, it is about the Donner Party and the uh, history and hauntings of the Donner Party. So I was, uh, that was one that I, you know, have been interested in since I was a kid and just the pandemic has been really great for my writing. Um, during during the, this shutdown pretty much that we've had, um, I seriously, I've written like six books. I mean, I oh just God. writing stuff. I 
I mean, I just keep writing because there's nothing else to do. Yeah, what else are you going to do? I've got a lot of people tell me, oh, you know, my, my writing has really suffered. I can't concentrate on it. And it's like, dude, that is the only thing I've done. I mean, pretty much. It's, um, and so I've really, I've really had a good time with, uh, and, and really some kind of out there, you know, non- normal stuff that I've been working on just kind of off the beaten path. You know, I don't, um, I've gotten to the point anymore where I don't just write normal books about ghosts anymore. It has to be something pretty bizarre. So, I mean, or, or it's just a little more off center. Like I did a, I did a book this, this, uh, this, I don't even know when it was sometime last summer, I did a book about, um, about the, the a series of ax murders that took place in Louisiana and Texas that all had like a supernatural, bent to them in a, like a fanatical religious thing, uh, the Church of the Sacrifice Murders. And I thought, I don't know, I just felt like doing it. I just, you know, I was interested in the story. And I thought, what the hell? And started digging through newspapers and here we go. So I wrote, um, so I mean, it's just the, 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 the pandemic has been good for my writing, but not probably good for my social skills. So we probably, you know, we probably need to get back open soon um, before I have none left at all. So that'd probably be a good idea. You're doing pretty good right now. <laughs> well, you know, face to face with somebody, but normally I'm just like here in my office all day by myself. So I don't have to talk to anybody until Lisa comes home from school. So, you know, I don't, I don't talk to anyone. So it's, I, I need Need an outlet, I guess, and it <laughs> turned out to be it. So awesome! Well, you're very good at it. So, <laughs> well, and I'm excited about the Donner Party one because I grew up in Colorado, oh, and so oh, when perfect. we learned yeah. about that in school, sure. it was like, sure. it's why not to drive in the Sierra Nevadas during the winter time. So, no. yeah, exactly. Um, it's it's a good lesson for all of us. So it's or actually it was Alfred Packer. Over I'm thinking of sorry, but Donner that, Party oh, and Alfred. Oh yeah, Packer. yeah, yeah, Alfred Packer. Yeah, yeah, but. <laughs> Still, it's eating people. That's yeah. what down to. So, you know. <laughs> well, oh my gosh. Thank you so much for sure. your time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I this was, was happy awesome. to do it. So I'm always happy to do these with you. So we're we're good. So. I love it. All right. Well, thanks for everything. Thank and you for everything. And on that note, thank Thanks. you for watching Hanchons. Or listening if you're listening. Right, exactly. You've been listening to Haunt Johns, a podcast for restless spirits. My name is Courtney Maroc, and it's been my pleasure to be your host and guide for this audio journey. Did you like what you heard? If so, the best ways to show your appreciation are by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts from, leaving a review if your podcast provider permits it, or by sharing this episode. If you're curious about the music, almost all of it comes from filmmusic.io, unless otherwise specified in the show notes, which is also where all artists and song titles are listed. And if you'd like to continue exploring with me beyond the podcast, you can always jaunt with me online anytime at hauntjaunts.net or socially on Instagram and YouTube. I sure do appreciate you taking the time to sail the airwaves with me. Until our paths cross again, ciao for now.